The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon and welcome to America's Web Radio. We're glad to have you tuned in today. And uh, th- it's time now for Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Sarm. And I'm always amazed. I do a little, just for the fun of it, during the week after the show, I'll do my own little personal survey throughout the rest of the week. And when I come across somebody I really haven't ever met before, or don't know whether they listen to the station or not, but I'll ask them, what do you remember about Desert Shield and Desert Storm? And it's always amazing to me, although it's only been 30 years, that a lot of folks have absolutely no clue whatsoever. And I, it's always amazing to me to find that they, they absolutely have no clue. And uh, so that's the reason that we do the show is to give them a clue of what Desert Shield and Desert Storm are all about. And we have a great host that was been there, done that. He was in Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and that's Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg. And uh, Phil, how long have we been doing the show now? Do you remember? Oh, I, I would guess about a year or so, maybe longer. Yeah, I was thinking about that, that that's uh, maybe just a hair longer or something. But, um, you know, it's just one of these things that I feel like has to be remembered. It's not a matter, it's not a question of choice. It's a question that we have to keep people remembering because we had a, a lot of heroes in Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and they should be honored like everybody else. And uh, all of the veterans, whether they're, I don't care what they were veterans of or what veterans they are, but uh, we have to remember them, and they have to be thanked continually for giving up a part of their life to secure our freedom in one shape, form, or fashion. And um, you do you do a wonderful job in your as a uh, with the DAV and as a uh, officer that uh, specializes in veterans and uh, uh, can answer the questions for veterans. But with that being said, I wanted to since this is Valentine's Day and normally speaking. I won't, I won't identify a day because that obviously dates it and in dating it when we play it back, well, somebody obviously will say, well, it's not Valentine's Day anymore. What's this yo-yo talking about? But, uh, as, as we both know, holidays are very important and to whether you're in theater, in country or just on active duty in the United States, wherever you might be, a holiday is a holiday. And if you're spending it away from your family, it becomes even more important. And things have changed so much now that uh, (laughs) 
I can't even imagine uh, what it's like. Uh, I'll find out, I guess, as my son's deploying. But, uh, you know, with, with the electronics that we have today, you're really, you're really only sort of a click away from being able to see them. But, uh, Phil, when you were in Desert Shield and Desert Storm, it wasn't quite that way. It was coming towards it. But when I was on active duty many, many years ago, we barely had telephone privileges, so, you know, things have changed, and they're all for the best. But uh, I guess Valentine's and many of the other holidays, that crowd around the sergeant or whoever it happened to be, the lieutenant or whoever happened to be giving out the mail, there was always a crowd around. And I assume, I don't know if that's changed now or... Was that the way it was in Desert Storm and Desert Shield, or in vice versa? Uh, we uh, we had some telephone privileges, uh, but you know they were uh, these morale calls. They were only uh, short, um, maybe fifteen minutes, I think, and maybe once a week. Um, so we we relied pretty pretty much on uh, on <clears throat> mail that came through U.S. Postal Service. And uh, uh, I do recall that <clears throat> there was a, uh, oh, there was, uh, when, when you're in a combat theater, and it's still true to this day, you don't, you don't have to uh, <clears throat> put any stamps on your envelope. Um, <clears throat> you right. write some, something on there in place of a stamp saying, you know, or your return address is sufficient, uh, and uh, the post office delivers it without uh, without postage. Um, and so we we really did appreciate that. Now our our family, of course, had to put stamps on things, but they got a domestic postage rate when they mailed to us, and uh, and we did get quite a bit of mail. Uh, I recall that. Uh, we would get these uh, letters or, or postcards. Uh, I think they called them any soldier postcards or letters. And uh, you know, they would come in, in bulk to our unit and just get handed out to folks. And uh, there were all sorts of things. A lot of them were written uh, by school children, sort of at the direction of their teachers. Uh, I got one <clears throat> uh, before we went to hostilities. Uh, I got this postcard from a little girl who was in sixth grade, or I'm sorry, second grade. She said she was six years old, and she wrote, <clears throat> I, I hope you can come back without a war. <laughs> but <clears throat> she wrote the way she spelled war was W-H-O-R-E. <laughs> and I'm sure you did. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I... I Came back after the war, but not with a whore. Uh, so, uh, which really wasn't hard because <clears throat> our saying was that there's a pretty girl behind every tree in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> well, unfortunately, uh, my son's going to find out in the very near future. Well, he remains in my prayers. Uh, I've kind of lost track of what's going on in that part of the world. <clears throat> uh, but uh, I know, you know, there, there are a lot of people there that uh, 
uh, that really are very thankful for the Americans of what, what they've done, uh, especially getting rid of Saddam Hussein, who uh, ran that country like Tony Soprano, yeah. uh, was very violent and uh, autocratic fellow. So um, the problem <clears throat> with becoming a you know a dictator like that is that you can never reform. Uh, if you ever you ever turn back on your evil ways, you uh, you know the justice will catch up with you. And well, you know, justice caught up with Saddam Hussein as well. Oh, absolutely. And uh, you know, it's well, it was a crazy time back then. And why he ever thought that he could tangle with the United States? is beyond me unless he was counting on somebody else uh, coming in to help him and they weren't there for him and they realized too that it's a pretty tough job to tangle with the USA you know yeah uh, you know we uh, we have a pretty good track record uh, so uh, and we certainly uh, if when we decide something is in our own strategic best interest, we will definitely act. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, yeah, and I don't think he really wanted to tangle with the United States. I think his goal was to uh, uh, was to get the riches of Kuwait, and he, he was banking on the fact that we would never do anything about it. Right. Well, you know, and I cringe at the thought, and it happened, and, you know, you can't expect anything but the way a nut will react. And when he started burning the oil fields of Kuwait, I just, you know, what a waste. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he was just a madman and dictator, obviously, but he was a madman. And uh, it's hard to figure out the psychology of it. I want to get back to the uh, holiday season, though, and and uh, I know every well. I think you've talked. We've talked about it before that when uh, somebody in the company gets a goodie box, generally speaking, depending on how large it is, it will go out for everybody and uh, be put on a table and. Anybody can grab anything they want as a snack coming in from guard duty or whatever it happens to be. And, uh, you know, how important the goodie boxes were. And, uh, you know, it uh, gave you a sense of, a little bit of sense of being back home when your spouse or your wife, you know, cooked cooked those brownies or cooked the chocolate chip cookies or whatever it might be. And, uh, I guess I don't know of a unit or a company that, uh, or maybe down to a platoon size, that didn't always share. Well, we did. Uh, and, of course, you know, the generosity of the folks at home were uh, was pretty, uh, pretty amazing to us. Uh, of course, as we were getting ready to convoy out, um, <clears throat> You know these, uh, uh, these you know young girls come running up and 
throw their arms around our soldiers and kiss them. I thought that was, <laughs> that was pretty nice. Um, you know, I mean, it's better than a punch in the gut. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they continue to show their appreciation for us and their thoughts and prayers and, and send us these uh, things, mostly, you know, from moms and sweethearts and wives of, the, uh, of our soldiers. But, you know, you just couldn't eat everything that got sent. Um, so, uh, our, uh, our headquarters was in a, well, it was a poured concrete shell of a building, had no windows or, um, really, um, electricity or running water or anything, but it, <clears throat> it served as a shelter. And so we, uh, we, we ran lights in there and all, but one, one of the rooms was our company orderly room. And we did have uh, we did have a, a big screen. What we thought was a big screen TV at the time up, and we had CNN on it. But there was always a table there with uh, you know the people. It was uh, people would just put their um, you know the things that they were not able to finish on the on that table. And whenever you went in there, you could grab cookies or brownies, candies or nuts. Somebody uh, back in the States had put out that, you know, you shouldn't send chocolates because they would melt in the heat. But that word didn't really kick in until about late November. So <laughs> it was, we weren't in any danger of melting our chocolates there at that time. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty nice. Uh, you know, and I, I tell you what, I ate everything I could. I ate every meal that, uh, that either they served me or it was handed to me in a pouch. And, uh, and I ate plenty of those snacks and I lost 20 pounds while I was there. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. People say, well, it must have been the stress. Well, I didn't, I didn't feel all that stressed most of the time. Um, but uh, I guess uh, we never really had much of a day off, um, you know, for six months. So uh, I guess that'll do it to you. Well, and there's a term, double time. Yeah. That well, will uh, help take that weight off as well. You know, and, and uh, we didn't really do... Uh, any physical training, you know, we didn't do any organized physical training. Um, uh, it just, it just, there was no time for it, you know. Uh, so I thought it was uh, sort of interesting that they decided before we would go back to the States, they would give us a, a, a physical readiness test, you know, the push-ups and the sit-ups and, and the two-mile run. And... Uh, I didn't know how I was going to do on it. I didn't know if they were going to tell me I couldn't come home if I didn't pass it. But, uh, yeah, I passed it, I guess. <laughs> uh, probably because I was 20 pounds lighter. Uh, it was, yeah, but... Uh, I, I thought that was only for grunts. I didn't realize that officers had to do it, too. Well, uh, no, because uh, officers always have officers over them. So uh, you're going to wind up taking your PT test. Uh, 
Well, they want you to go home in good shape, I guess, huh? I suppose, yeah. Look good for the parade or something. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We, uh... At at least you all had one. That's more than Vietnam returnees had. Yep. Oh, we had lots of parades. Um, For some reason, they, uh... Yeah, I I don't know if it was uh, trying to get over... Um, what had happened to the Vietnam returnees or what exactly was behind it but when we got back we found that the U.S. was in a parading mood they wanted <laughs> they wanted to see us marching down Main Street well you know as I understand it and uh, and again you I'm sure you know better than I but that because of what had happened with Vietnam veterans returning is that they took it on themselves to say that's not going to happen again and they they still say that and uh, they uh, they work the airports they work every place that they can to make sure that a returning veteran is treated properly and uh, not call the names that Vietnam veterans were called and everything else and uh, uh, to my knowledge, they're still doing it, and they will continue to do it, and then they'll turn it over to uh, folks returning from Desert Shield and Desert Storm, or hopefully uh, that'll be the end of it, you know? Yeah. Um, I would say I'm also uh, very gratified when I see folks like the Patriot Guard uh, that that do funerals for for uh, veterans uh, and uh, especially those who are uh, returning uh, combat uh, casualties. Uh, they do a, a fine job. And, uh, you know, there's an awful lot of very good, fine folk in the United States uh, despite <clears throat> what you might see on the evening news. <laughs> Very true. Um, Let's just, I want to give another plug for uh, what you do at the DAV and what you do for veterans that have questions and are their families. Uh, Special operation officer or operation officer, and uh, tell folks what you do and what they can do when they go to a... uh, the VFW or uh, veterans of foreign veterans of foreign war, or they go to American Legion or whatever, they can get some help with the benefits that their veterans deserve. Yeah. Um, so I I work as a service officer for uh, Chapter Six uh, Disabled American Veterans uh, in Marietta. It's a volunteer job, but we. Uh, we uh, help veterans uh, negotiate the, uh, the bureaucracy that is the, the VA. Uh, you know, there, there are many, many benefits that are, you know, codified in law uh, that are accorded to veterans. And they, uh, <clears throat> uh, but, you know, to administer all this law uh, and these benefits, they uh, have to follow a very strict code. And there's a lot of there's an awful lot of people, you know, helping to process claims, but 
they're sometimes fall a little bit short um, in uh, manpower to help veterans understand the claims, what they might be entitled to, and the forms to fill out. And so <clears throat> um, those of us uh, who volunteer, whether it be at the Disabled American Veterans or the uh, um, the veterans of foreign wars, of American Legion, there's a host of others, um, veteran organizations, uh, they know as veteran service organizations, and uh, they will, uh, they have service officers, and, and they counsel veterans and, and help them uh, fill out the paperwork, and uh, yeah, I was, I was amazed. Uh, my, my, when I separated, when I retired from the Army, I sat down with a service officer from the uh, Veterans of Foreign Wars, and uh, this fellow had been in the, uh, an enlisted Navy corpsman in a future, uh, previous career. So he sat down with me and he said, went through my, all my medical records one page at a time, about 30 years worth of records, and uh, he just said, okay, I want you to claim this and claim this and claim this. So I wrote it all down. I said, how do I do that? Oh, I'll prepare the paperwork for you. And I thought that was just amazing. So uh, I learned how to do that and navigate that whole process, and now I help veterans do that. Gee, I, you know, <clears throat> Phil, I just can't imagine that the government would have a lot of paperwork for a veteran to do. That just blows my mind. But then again, it is our government, isn't it? that has more paperwork than uh, you can flush, you might say. <laughs> we won't go yeah, into well, that. but It doesn't do any good to get upset about it. You, know, you, you, you just have to figure out how it works. It's like a big puzzle to put together. And I think the, the key word starts with a P, called patience. Yeah. And, yeah. Patience and persistence is what I found. As uh, the key to success with the VA. Well, you know, there's something that I want to bring up, and this is the perfect time to do it. And and this is that where many 201 files are, or DD 214s are, are in St. Louis at the Personal Records Office, which is archives all of that. And they have been shut down since March the 29th of 2020. And that has meant that many veterans that needed to get copies of their DD-214s or they, more importantly, they needed copies of their uh, service locations, particularly if it was an effect of Agent Orange, and they had to prove where they were, those records were in St. Louis, Missouri, and the people that were supposed to be getting them for them haven't been in, and they're still not in. That's what upsets me beyond words. Since March the 29th of 2020, now this is almost two years, and I, I couldn't tell you, I have no idea. I'd like to find out how many veterans have died because they couldn't get the proper paperwork. And this is deplorable. And whoever's listening needs to call 
their congressman and raise Cain about it. Uh, I've called mine and my two congress, my two senators, and it's like talking to a brick. One, you generally can't speak to them, and two, if you do get to them, oh well, I'll have my staff. My staff is on top of that. They have been checking into it, and we're going to get something done. Well, this is a year later, and they've gotten nothing done. So this is killing people, and I I just honestly can't stand it. It's just we have to do something about the VA and the records. And uh, I'm going to keep going up the ladder until I get to the top. And unfortunately, the top doesn't care about veterans, but they will. And uh, yeah. you've got to find it frustrating from your standpoint. I do. Um, of course, it's not my benefits that are being delayed, you know. Uh, so <clears throat> uh, I am very uh, anxious to help those who. Uh, are looking for their records. So, in 1975, <clears throat> there was a fire at the records center in St. Louis, and uh, a lot of uh, records, I think, particularly of uh, those who'd served in the United States Army, but it could have been other services as well, uh, were destroyed. Um, and, uh, of course, back in those days, we kept everything on paper, so... Um, it was, uh, we were, you know, subject to that kind of thing. Today it's not the case. But um, I would say if anybody is you know, going to be, uh, if you have anybody on active duty who's uh, maybe listening right now, I would suggest that uh, one of the most important things they could do is uh, to... Um, See, talk to a service officer um, very quick, very soon after you separate from the service, or you can talk to them actually before you separate from the service. If you're within one year of your discharge, you can get with a service officer and uh, put together a claim for what they call benefits at discharge. Uh, back in, <clears throat> years and years ago, um, they would not. Uh, the VA was forbidden from even talking to uh, anyone who uh, was still on active duty. Uh, but that's changed. So uh, I know that <clears throat> when I separated, when I retired in 2011, and the, uh, the um, records or the, uh, they, they had allowed me to do a, a claim for benefits at discharge. Uh, it took over a year for me to get my determination, and then when I submitted a uh, rebuttal or an increase for something, I can't recall, it took close to five years from that uh, to, to adjudicate my claim. So, uh, But it's moving a lot faster than that right now, but uh, you know, we need to keep the pressure on them. Oh, yeah, and a lot of it unfortunately depends on the administration that's in power at the time that 
either they care about veterans or they don't. And uh, we have a situation now that uh, they don't, not like previous administration did. So, like you said, keep the pressure on. Keep calling that representative and that senator. That's We hired them to take care of us. We didn't hire them to play pinochle in Washington all the time. So keep the pressure on them. That's, that's their job. That's, they're supposed to take care of us. And, uh, you know, with that being said, I've actually let... I always... You, you, you know, Phil, you, you get me uh, thinking about other stuff. And uh, I just let time go right on by and and uh, don't do anything about it. So we're going to take our first break halfway through the show, and uh, we'll be back with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil Forsberg right after a couple of messages. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at firearmliquidationservice at outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. And we want to uh, second that. GoArmy.com or like we say many, many times on this show and, and other veteran shows, if, if you're a graduating senior from high school or if you've just gotten your degree from college and you're still not quite sure what you want to do, I will put this in writing. I guarantee you that some branch of the military has exactly something that you will be interested in. I can't tell you which branch, but I can tell you there's one of them that has it and being in the military today, uh, when you graduate from college and you're looking for a job, that's what you've got in the military today. I, I am. Our government has done a fantastic job of turning the military, it's not a business, it's very serious, but at the same time, they have become very competitive with the open market and... I think they've done a wonderful job of it. Uh, the holidays, uh, everything about the military today is comparable or better than a civilian job. And once you've served your time in the military, you've raised your hand, you've given them your two years, your four years, six years, whatever it is, and you go to apply for a job, being a veteran is the best thing you can put on your resume. And that's because HRs are looking for people they can depend on that are leaders, 
that know how to take orders and know how to give orders. And if you've got an honorable discharge from any branch, you're one step ahead of the person that's never served his country, or she's never served her country. So with that, let's get back to talking about Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And uh, Phil, i got to ask you, uh, can you remember what the funniest goodie box might have had in it? I received a box from a friend of mine. He was also serving in the Army, but his unit was not chosen to go. And uh, he was a little bit envious of me. And so he he sent me uh, a couple of paperback books, and uh, he jokingly sent me some uh, uh, chocolate bars and uh, nylon stockings, which he... uh, (laughs) Said that he had heard it was it was that was good trading and barter uh, uh, currency there in in the war. I told him I was not in occupied France. That <laughs> <laughs> I was in the middle of the stinking desert. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, the, the humor was not lost on me. That's funny. And uh, you weren't even trading for wine, I bet. No. No. <laughs> there was none of that. None of that over there, as a matter of fact, I guess. Well, um, that was the order. Uh, and I know that uh, uh, some some folks, uh, you know, some resourceful folks um, were able to create their own uh, elixirs, you know, strictly for medicinal purposes. Well, certainly. um, And those folks were probably Southerners. Well, they were mostly warrant officers in my recollection. (laughs) Uh, But uh, anyway, they, uh, yeah, they they, uh, didn't allow us to have any uh, alcohol while we were there. So, uh, but they did, they knew that American GIs liked to drink beer, so they made sure that they sent us uh, ample supplies of this non-alcoholic beer from Anheuser-Busch. It was called Odules, but we uh, we nicknamed it uh, Abduls. <laughs> uh, but I guess we were maybe, maybe we were a little more clear-headed than we might have otherwise been, so that was probably a good thing. You know, what What was it back in, uh, I guess, well, maybe Vietnam even, but they had a, a product called Near Beer, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's still in the uh, pipeline or not. But Well, I don't know. We call this uh, not even Near Beer. Worse than that, huh? I think yeah. I don't remember what content near beer had of alcohol but it wasn't much that I remember well I, I think that was not a product of of the military I think that was a product of certain uh, counties um, you know enacting their own uh, limitations on alcohol um, in, the, in the wake of the repeal of prohibition very well could be. I, I don't know the story of it. But uh, anyway, holidays, uh, 
Can you imagine what it's like today with the electronics that folks have that, uh, you know, you can, you can almost be in a firefight and contact your wife and tell her, I'm in a firefight, I'll get back to you after, uh, after we win. Well, uh, you know, it's interesting because many years before Desert Storm, <clears throat> um, the, uh, there's a story of uh, our troops in the 82nd Airborne Division there. Uh, adventures in Grenada rescuing those medical students. Mm-hmm. Uh, they uh, <clears throat> uh, they were unable to contact uh, their uh, support for uh, I think Air Force Close Air. And, um, one of the soldiers had uh, like an AT and T calling card or something and used a, a payphone. I remember that. <laughs> he called back to, uh, uh, I think, Fort Bragg or maybe Pope Air Force Base and basically hooked it up via um, the, his uh, calling card, which, you know, just demonstrates the resourcefulness of our troops. That was that was in uh, either a TV movie or I guess it was a made-for-TV movie. And I remember the... You know where they did it, and operator, you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I don't know how it unfolded. You know, in after Hollywood got a hold of it, but uh, the uh, you know it's a true story. Uh, I don't remember all the details, but it was fellow using his AT and T calling card to uh, get back to his unit, and uh, it worked. You know, you just said something that uh, struck a point with me, is that, <clears throat> and and this is why I think the United States has always, in any situation, been underestimated, and that is, and, and an enemy doesn't know how to deal with it, because I'm sure as a commander, you certainly had control, but at the same token, you would listen. And if uh, a PFC came up with a better idea and it was presented to you, you would take that idea. And this is something that, that uh, just like the story that you just told about taking your AT&T card and, and using that, or you, you can't beat our ability to the Americans' ability to go with the flow and come up with the answer. It may not be the one that's written down in the book necessarily, but come up with an answer, and that's one of the things or one of the greatest things about capitalism and the freedom of speech and the freedom to do what we know is best. And you send a patrol out, and you can't tell them everything that's going to happen on a patrol or or uh, what they're going to come against may or may not happen, but they have the flexibility and the ingenuity to get through it. And a lot of, and I think this was one of uh, Hitler's biggest faults, and his generals were, this is the way it will be done, and you will cross this piece of property, and if it's a if it's a river flooding, they still ordered you to cross it. And 
maybe half the troops would be drowned going across it. But, you know, they strictly went by the book, whereas we don't throw the book out. We just revise it as we go, sort of. Would you say that's a pretty fair statement? Yeah, and I think it's kind of uh, uh, emblematic of, of a uh, of people who, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention, they say. And so a lot of times, you know, uh, people, uh, you know, we didn't, in, in earlier times, we didn't have uh, uh, Amazon delivering something to us in uh in 24 hours, if we needed it, uh, you know, sometimes we had to make our own tools with what we had, and uh, you know, that was the kind of the importance of uh, the American philosophy is that when you give <clears throat> when you give your unit their orders, you make sure they understand the intent, the the end result that we're looking for, and because you're going to lose contact with them, and and you know, hell, saying that. Uh, no plan ever survives the first uh, mortar round that impacts in the operations center. Um, <laughs> war is very chaotic, and so those who are able to uh, improvise and, uh, and just know exactly, well, what is it exactly that we're looking to, to accomplish, and then, you know, they can get that done. Uh, so... Uh, and then, of course, if you ever if you ever punish initiative like that, you can expect never to see it again. Uh, so um, that's one of the things that <clears throat> you know we don't do. We don't try to stifle uh, any kind of uh, innovation or uh, inventiveness in accomplishing the mission. How would you say that? Um or what was your key to results and performance uh, coming from the top going down and you get down to the second lieutenant and then you go to the non-coms? How do you ensure that all of the message is presented to the PFC? Well, you know, I think it starts in uh, training in peacetime. Uh, you know, you, you, people have to be familiar with the way things are done. This is uh, this is why you know the military um, term for this is drill, right? You drill, <laughs> you, you drill this in so it becomes second nature. We do, you know, in, in the services we do have our own uh, language, our own jargon, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's to facilitate uh, what needs to be done. And so, if you can, uh, you know, if you, if you are immersed in a in an environment like that, in that culture, in that language, um, you know, uh, in that uh, way of getting things done, uh, then uh, you can function so much uh, more effectively. Um, and it's it's vitally important that that soldiers know. Their commanders, their commanders' personality, and, uh, the, the, you know, what sort of things would, are, uh, most beneficial or, you know, most likely to, to, uh, meet with his approval. Uh, and then that takes away, you know, the fear of, it, of any kind of improvising, improvising you might have to do. 
Well, I think the other thing, too, is the relationship that officers, the commanding officers, and again, bringing it down the uh, chain of command, but for the lowest uh, E1 is that they have to trust that my officer knows and he is the best and I'll follow him anywhere. And uh, I think that feeling has to be uh, driven in and proven to all the troops. And that comes from the top down. And to the second lieutenants, the uh, platoon sergeants, you know, everybody. And that it's all a team. And I think this is, you know, I can't address other countries or their military, but um, it's certainly something that that I think the Army, and again, I, I don't know about the Marines or the Navy or anything else, but I know the Army drills into you the importance of taking care of your buddy. Yeah. You know, and the folks who have uh, gone before have lost people have uh, seen the consequences of, of bad decision making you know they they have to emphasize it to the to the more junior folks there there really are uh, three things that uh, I found in you know in combat that soldier really relies on uh, and they are his training his equipment and his leadership and if, if all three of those things are, uh, are, uh, he has confidence in all three of those things, then, uh, he's going to be very successful. And we'll make it through most given situations. Yeah. I mean, it ha- and it has to be earned confidence, right? He has to have confident leadership. He has to have good equipment and he has to have excellent training. But, um, with those things in place, uh, those are the things you can fall back on in a tight spot. And I, you know, I, more daily do I give respect to all of our training locations, our, our Fort Ords, our Fort Jacksons, and the different uh, places of training, and the same way with the, with the Marines. Uh, and, you know, behind the scene, something is happening continually in the military, and that's how can we improve it. And, again, I, I can't speak for any other country. I don't know. But uh, our training is second to none, in my opinion. And uh, they go back and go back and go back. And... Uh, to improve, and uh, we have the best. We have the best of the best in the world, and we've proven it over and over and over again. Uh, so, we're going to take our last break before the end of the show, and then we'll be back with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Phil Forsberg right after a couple of words. It's a museum. It's a showroom. It's an experience. 
Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com, or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. And we're back on America's Web Radio and our show called Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm with our host, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg. And Philip, before we go on, I just want to thank you for your service and your service today. And, you know, I'm sure you see this in what you do with the disabled American veterans as a service officer and working with the veteran themselves as well as working with the uh, the families of veterans. But the one thing, and I know very little about it, I'm not, certainly not a doctor, but PTSD can show up about any time, is to my knowledge. You know, you can come back and regroup and organize yourself and become get back into a civilian state and something that happened to you six months ago or two years ago may all of a sudden pop up and and uh, cause a real problem do you see this in what you do as a service officer yeah I have worked with uh, folks who have PTSD uh, and submitted claims and gotten them counseling and uh, there, there are many uh, coping skills that can be learned, uh, and uh, you know, one of the uh, one of the uh, concerns uh, a lot of veterans will have in uh, in claiming 
uh, PTSD. They, they don't want any record of claiming PTSD because they feel that they, <clears throat> that will endanger their ability to, uh, have firearms. And, uh, you know, these, <clears throat> I gotta tell you, these are not really violent people. These are people who have been trained to accomplish, uh, our nation's goals. Uh, through sometimes violent means, but uh, doesn't mean that they they would ever take advantage of innocent folks, and so they uh, but they are concerned. And uh, you know, someone who has uh, faced the hazards of combat in the past uh, may feel a uh, certain uh, need to be able to defend himself and his family uh, if the need arises. And so, uh, anyway, they, making a claim for PTSD is not going to jeopardize uh, your ability to uh, have your own firearms. That's not the... You know, this, <clears throat> this is a time I want to mention the fact, and you know who I'm talking about. Uh, but I have a good friend that's a dentist. He's also a medical doctor. And uh, he's come up, if you're having, if you have PTSD and you're having problems sleeping, email me, gm at americaswebradio.com, and I'll put you in contact with my friend, the doctor, that has devised a means that has proven over the years to work. And... Um, he will he will fix you up and where you can get a good night's sleep, and it's very important. Sleep is an important tool to your health. So uh, contact me and I'll be glad to. His name is Don, and he like I said, he's a doctor, and also he started out as a dentist, and then he went back to medical school and became an MD. So uh, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about, and. Uh, He's taking it all the way up the chain. So let me know if you need some help, and uh, I'll be glad to put uh, Don in touch with you or you in touch with Don. And uh, his it's no drugs, nothing like that. It's strictly a mechanical situation that uh, works, and he's, he's had, I think he's running extremely close to 100% on satisfaction and getting good results. So don't hesitate to email me, gm at America's Web Radio, or if you know somebody with PTSD that's having problems sleeping, have them get in contact with me, and I'll be glad to uh, see that they get help. What Are you seeing anything else as a service officer that is uh, stressful to the individual or the families? Well, I mean, you know, each case is unique, um, but there are certain trends. Um, there are those who, who have difficulty, uh, uh, you know, they, they, they come from an environment where uh, unflinching obedience is, uh, is not only expected but required, and then they come into an environment where, uh, you know, uh, it's, everything's more nuanced. And, uh, you know, one of the things that upsets them greatly is when we see 
that even our own uh, government doesn't follow its own rules. Uh, but, uh, that really affects it deeply. Um, so, uh, I guess we should probably elect people who not only swear to uh, support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies foreign but actually intend to as well. Amen. And uh, this is something that uh, is bothersome and uh, you know it uh, you know it's it just very uh, a very worrisome topic but um, you know we're coming up close to the end of the show. Is there anything that uh, you hi- want to highlight before we move on? Um, you know, I think I'd just like to say that uh, we're, we're approaching a time when uh, and we, we may be smack in the middle of this time that folks are uh, uh, some folks are losing hope uh, in uh, our government and, uh, and what they're doing and uh, some of them would, would feel that uh, Serving in uniform is uh, no longer a, a good choice for someone who uh, who is committed to our nation. But uh, I got to tell you, we really need uh, people with integrity, um, people with brains, people uh, uh, are are committed to doing things because they're right. Uh, people who are noble. Uh, to, to uh, step up and serve because uh, it, you know it's coming to a time when what happens is uh, you know like we had after Vietnam folks uh, don't want to serve anybody with with a good head on the shoulders uh, finds himself in a place where he doesn't want to be and you know winds up getting out of the service and then uh it takes a great deal longer for us to rebuild uh, what we need uh, for an effective defense of our nation. So the, the folks who stayed in and persevered through the difficult times are the ones who really made a difference uh, when it came to stuff like Desert Storm, the Cold mm-hmm. War, which we want hands down. Phil, we're going to have to wrap it up. Uh, it's been another great hour with you, and I certainly appreciate your service and appreciate your comments on the military and we thoroughly support the military any way we can we'll be back next week with more desert chill and desert storm with our host lieutenant colonel retired phil forsberg thank you phil thank you david goodbye the views opinions and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on america's web radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.